This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. I'm in conversation with Command Master Chief Britt Slabinski, United States Navy, retired. He's a Navy SEAL, and he's the recipient of the nation's highest award for heroism on the battlefield, the Congressional Medal of Honor. I'll let him tell his story. Master Chief, one of the things that I've heard you say before is something that's near and dear to both of us as, as Boy Scouts, as former Boy Scouts. It's that term, on your honor, I will do my best. Can you tell us how that played into your situation with you and your team back in 2002 with Operation Anaconda? Well, sir, first I want to thank you for the opportunity to, to have this discussion with you on Radio Stockdale. What an amazing place for tribute to an amazing man uh, who laid the groundwork uh, for such great things for our nation, Julie the cornerstone for, from which people make decisions with these days. I can't think of a, of a better individual for the place to be named after to set its guiding principles by. So thank, thanks for this opportunity to, to address the mids. But I think we, we all of us, you know, on my honor, I will do my duty. Um, as some of those that were in the scouting program listening to this will recognize as the opening line to the Boy Scout Oath. And I was an Eagle Scout in that program at the age of 14. There's things that we learn in our youth that you know, maybe we're just not quite sure the real intent of it that, that are taught by by our elders at the time, and that's real. How can it be applicable to our current situations? And you know, that was one of them. And it, of course, it didn't really dawn on me until you know I needed to lean on that oath, that that promise to make it until you're, I was in a difficult situation. That situation for me occurred in the night of March third, two thousand and two, in Afghanistan. You know, at that point, I was a I was a troop chief of a of a of a group of seals that were in Afghanistan tasked with a mission to put in an observation post on top of 11,000 foot peak during Operation Anaconda. The top of the mountain was called Takur Gar, which is a big mountain. We were supposed to support the conventional forces in the valley below. But of course, if we know that you know such a tall mountain, if it's important to me, it's important to the enemy as well too. So trying to reduce risk to my force, we came up with a plan to, we're going to put our team in at another location, observe the mountain throughout the following day. And then uh, if conditions were right, we would occupy the mountain the following day. So we would take a full 24 to 36 hours to fully develop that position that I would be observing from. But, you know, in combat, things happen that are, that are outside of our control. It's that Murphy's Law that, that we've talked about so often throughout history is that, that you know, just things are going to happen and it affects your timeline. And the battlefield is a very dynamic place, and what was true a minute ago may be false uh, currently. It was the case for us. Things changed that pushed me outside of my timeline. So when I, you know, I requested a, a shift to the to the fight, uh, and I wanted to do the thing the next day, and it was denied. And not only was it denied, I, I was told I needed to go to the top of the mountain immediately. Uh, so I went to the top of the mountain, and as we thought, the enemy came after us with rocket-propelled grenades and bullets the size of your finger passing through the aircraft. In the midst of that chaos, the air crew did an amazing job saving all our lives. And a little shout out to my pilot, Al, just uh, an incredible pilot, incredible human being, did an amazing job saving all our lives today. You know, he lifts us off the top of the mountain. And then, you know, as the other explosions are going off, my, a teammate of mine standing nearly my right, Neil Roberts, was uh, ejected out of the aircraft because we weren't tied in. We were getting ready to get off. So when he, he falls out immediately, you know, I got a person out. 
but were so heavily damaged from enemy fire that you know, we ended up crashing. From that location, of course, you know, my has a ground force commander. My, my situation has changed greatly in the course of just a few minutes. So now I got a, you know, of course, my original mission. I've got Neil's situation to deal with in a downed helicopter in front of me. You're now immediately faced with some critical decisions coming at you quite rapidly. So I make the first decision that I'm going to take care of the downhill helicopter crew in front of me and get them to a relatively safe place, get their wounded treated, get get that situation sorted out. I like to say, like, we've heard that no plan survives first contact. Well, it's certainly held true in this regard. And I just wanted to default to doing what is the right thing to do here. And the right thing, of course, is to, to, to get this air crew to safety. And that's what our teams did. So now I'm on my second helicopter of the evening. And trying to put, I've now put all my attention I possibly can towards my teammate, Neil. And I had a small glimmer of information coming across the radio. And as you can imagine, the radio nets were absolutely clogged with radio traffic. So very difficult for me to communicate with anyone uh, at the higher, higher levels of command. But I hear this little piece of information that Neil's alive. I use that as my proof of life that, that, that he is alive. So now my decision point comes when you know, I can go with the force that I have now that doesn't have the right equipment for what we need. I, just about every form of logistics that is required to do an operation of this, we don't have or we're in very short supply of. Or I can wait over three hours for a quick reaction force, which is about 40 Army Rangers is on the way, but they're three hours away. So the decision really comes down to if I, you know, I could go now at a high risk to the force, make a rescue attempt, which would get Neil hopefully alive, or wait the three hours, of which would certainly be a recovery of his remains. It would be a sure thing uh, that I would own the mountain and own that space. The trade-off would be, I'm certain, it would be a recovery. So in in the role, that, you know, everyone coming out of the out of the academy is going to be a warfighter. The, the day they leave here, the day that they're commissioned, they're warfighters. And the nation, that promise that they made to the nation that they'll protect the homeland and and defend it, her ideals, her people, protect and defend their their commands, it was not a light decision. And I didn't take that lightly at all. You know, I made a promise to Neil that I'm going to protect him and, and get him home. And I think everyone in uniform, as you, as you well know, having served, we make that promise to each other, regardless of, we have fun with the esprit de corps stuff back and forth, but at the end of the day, we all make promises to each other that we're going to go do the right thing and protect our country and get get each other home. That's not a light promise that we made. But how do you make how do you possibly make an impossible decision when the weight hits you? And of course, that's the comes the pinnacle question of leadership at those moments. That you know, how do you make those decisions? Because that's what we do as leaders: we make decisions when decisions are hard to come by. And as I'm processing all the all this information, but um, from what I turn my anatomy of a decision, they're quite complex in these scenarios. This one thought kept coming back to me in my mind. Eventually, I started listening to it, and it was the repetitive nature of the on my own, I'll do my best to do my duty, the opening line to the Boy Scout Oath, that of which I learned back when I was a youth. There it is serving me in the back of my mind. And about the third time I listened to it, I made the decision I have yet done my duty to my teammate. So we made the, an immediate attempt to, to go back and get him. You know, it's I, I, it's just funny the things that we that we lean on that we make decisions when the things that form the backbone of our convictions. You know, for me at that time it was the Boy Scout oath. Much like you, know, you have the SEAL ethos now, the Navy ethos, uh, all the different creeds that the militaries have. 
But I've come to look at all those as they're just a tool for you to make those decisions with. You know, it's very thankful to thankful to have it because it's just such a, an absolute lonely place when you have to make those things. And you got to have something to lean on. Yeah, it was the voice code of that day. Master Chief, this is an incredible story. Tell me this. What does love have to do with it? Yeah, oh, well, so love being a great song by Tina Turner, which I recommend all the all the meds go out and, and listen to it. But uh, on a more serious note, love, love is the core of all the emotions. Love, of course, is, the, is the, the most extreme, the most critical, and the one that we all should probably pay the most attention to. At the end of the day, when we're focused on just the military piece, that's at the core of the promises that we made to each other to support and defend the Constitution, her ideals, our people, particularly in our military culture. It's the, it's the love the love for our people, for each other, that powers us to do some absolutely incredible superhuman feats all for each other. So it's absolutely critical. You know, you've got the expertise of your training. You've got the, uh, the determination. You've got the support. But, but, but that love really is a, something in your toolkit that really supercharges you. It is. It's, and it's something that you don't know when you're going through all this stuff. When you're sharing hardships with someone like you do in the military, you're slowly building that trust. You're slowly building those bonds. So all those all those drills that you go through, those shared hardships, those shared crucible moments, it's all working on that human emotion and building it. It really, really helps drive you to, to, to accomplish those superhuman things, as I said, for each other and for your mission. So you don't normally associate love with, with military activities, but it's certainly there. And let me ask you this, and that that is the courage convictions and compassion story. Can you touch on each of those things, especially on courage? You know, what it took, you had some time to think about this and go back in. Can you touch on your definition of courage? Making that decision in a a relatively safe location, I had a lot of time to think through all the consequences of this and all the ramifications of the decisions. You know, at the end of the day, it does come down. It is a courageous moment. You know, for me, I wasn't really thinking about being courageous anything I think I was more I was scared for my teammates and scared for the, the lives of my teammates that were standing behind me waiting on me to make a decision but it is it does take a, a, a courageous moment just to look at a situation and say look this is the right thing for me to do right now this this is something I just I have to get this done and it, it could absolutely cost us me personally and, and more importantly my teammates it cost us everything to go to it, but it is absolutely imperative that it gets done right now. Courage, you know, as, as you, you allude a little bit, to the, uh, it's a C3 plus. It's, it's, I call it a C3 plus, and that's the courage, courage, conviction, compassion, plus pieces to be a contributor to your situation. You know, you're talking a little bit about courage, um, you know, the courage of your convictions. I mean, how do you develop courage? And, and, and it, does, that, does that come directly from your convictions? And there was a, there's a good book out there, Backbone. I can't remember the author of it. But he talks in that courage is the one trait that's going to guarantee all the others. And if you put some thought into it, that's true. Without it, none of your, your other character traits are going to have any weight to them because they just end up being facades. So courage has a couple layers to it. You know, the, the physical courage piece, I think we readily identify with that. But the other layers there, there's an intellectual courage the courage to go up against the, the standard quo, the standard thought process. There's a social courage. There's an emotional courage. There's the moral and ethical courage, courage piece, which was taught pretty heavily here at the academy. So many, many layers to it. But without the core root of courage, 
to, to guarantee any of those. It, it's all just going to be small talk. Yeah, and then there's your convictions. Convictions in its simplest form are the things that you believe in, the things that you will and will not do in this life, whether it be the, the Silithos, Bush, Godos, whatever those convictions be. In the mids, it's hopefully, you know, they come, come to the academy with some, but the academy will further develop their convictions. And the convictions are what, you know, they're going to base their decisions from that point. That's why it's so important to sort out what, what your convictions are, because in the, in a very fluid and dynamic battle space where, where hopefully none of them find themselves in, but they will certainly be in challenging positions in the future. Their orders won't cover every aspect uh, of where their missions may take them. And they're going to have to the conviction, have the convictions to apply their situations to do what is right each and every time. That's why your convictions are just so absolutely important and courage to guarantee them. We talk about a lot of gray in what we do as naval officers, but convictions almost have to be black and white. You have to take a stand someplace. They do. I mean, they're not convictions if there's a gray area. It's either, it's either right or wrong. It's, it's, it's just one way or another. If you find yourself being fickle about your convictions, you know, they're not really convictions, are they? So does compassion lead us back to Tina Turner? <laughs> I think it does. So the compassion piece is, there's three levels to that. And then you know, what, what we're doing here, leading people, there's a, there's an art and a science to all of this stuff. So this goes into more the art form of leadership. And that's the human piece of this. And we, we, you, know, we, you can't forget to be a human when you're, when you're in these leadership roles because you're asking people to do some absolutely difficult things. And the compassion, first, first rule of compassion is compassion for your teammates, those in your charge and certainly those above because people will make mistakes. You know, as they work through things, as long as those mistakes aren't character-based, you know, we certainly hold people accountable, but we need to work through them and learn from them and make sure those things don't happen again, but have compassion for them. And the second rule of compassion there would be compassion for yourself. This can be a hard one to really put in practice, but, you know, you yourself as a, as a leader and as a, or a human, you're going to make mistakes. If you dwell on them, if you live there, it will impact any all of your future decisions going forward. It will cloud your decision making, so you can't you can't dwell there. And you got to learn to forgive yourself. And you make to certainly learn from them, learn from your mistake, put some insurances in place to make sure it doesn't happen again. But move out. Don't don't dwell there. The third rule of this is compassion towards your opponent. The United States Navy is really good at knocking the heck out of any of its their opponents should they so choose us to use that kinetic option. But if and when we do. We have to be there to say, look, enough's enough, and we're going to help you get back up on your feet. Very quickly, as we say, manage the switch going quickly from a kinetic mindset to a humanitarian one. Again, all in the vein of making the situation right. This is a human thing. Don't forget to be human as we're going about our actions and carrying out our mission. And that plus thing you were talking about. Yeah, the, the plus piece is, a, you know, I say a contributor. And um, we all we all have in our life opposite of this, of course, opposite of a plus is a negative. A negative is a consumer. So when you're looking at a consumer person, we we all we all in our life have have met someone or know of someone that just just takes from us, whether it be financially, whether it be emotionally, they just take a piece of your life away from you that you're just never going to get back. You know, they'd be that person that you see coming down the hallway at work or at school or relative and you just look at them and you're like no i'm not going to spend 10 seconds of my life with you i'm never going to get back because i get nothing out of it 
it's always me giving to you. The, the contributor piece of this is everywhere you go, you got to strive to be a contributor, to always give give of yourself to the organization, to the idea, to the person. And the funny thing about that when you're giving, like a lot of times you get more out of it yourself of when you're, you're giving of your time. And we all have that person as well. We know when you have a really bad day, there's that person when you know, I, look, I just got to pick up the phone or I just need 30 seconds of my friend's time or my family member's time, whoever that person might be. That person that's just going to give you that that bone-popping hug at the end of the day that says, look, it's all going to be okay, right? Get back up on your feet and let's keep going. I think we all have, we all know those contributors that are, that are out there, but that's probably the most important thing I can tell you about all of that. Say just be a contributor wherever you're going. And usually the situation will end up okay. I've got one one last question for you. I'm speaking to a sailor who wears the Congressional Medal of Honor, and I've heard you say in the past that uh, there's a burden in wearing that Medal of Honor. What what do you mean by that? So that when uh, when I found out I was going to receive the medal, uh, my initial response was, "Look, don't do this to me." Uh, I said, "Look, this is." There were so many great people all around me, the people that followed me, the, the, the people that gave their lives up there that day. We lost seven, seven brave Americans that day, seven just as many wounded. So many people gave themselves on that day, all in the name of love and fulfilling their convictions. And you know, when you really think of the thing in context, it's just an uncomfortable place for me. I really believe there, so the DNA of so many others is embedded in the metal. So when the metal, metal came, it was like, okay, this is an uncomfortable place to be, but I have to tell everyone's story, everyone that was there. And it was important for me, for all my teammates that were able to attend, everyone that was on the hill that day, that they were there in the room to share that moment with them, to say, look, this is, this is for all of us. This is everything that we did that day together for each other, uh, fulfilling our promises uh, at the expense of our tomorrows to, to keep those promises. So it was important for me to tell their stories every time I put the medal on. To say, yeah, even though my name's on it, yeah, it just absolutely doesn't belong. I mean, there's so many other people that, that give to us, that get us to the positions that we're at today. The people that train us, our, our loved ones, there's a piece of everyone that's ever served in our in this medal. And I, I think all the, all the recipients will tell you the same thing. It's just an uncomfortable place for them to be. To the recipient of those accolades of really of a medal, I'll tell you, no, you don't want it. But we'll certainly wear it in their name and tell those stories. Command Master Chief Britt Slabinski, I appreciate and I'm honored to be able to talk to you about your story and how you've gotten to where you are. Hopefully, the Brigade of Midshipmen especially can learn from these lessons especially. Thanks for joining us on Radio Stockdale. Oh, thank you so much, sir. It's been, been a privilege. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts. 